Hi, and welcome back to the 10th episode of the Adaptives podcast. This episode is just Chuck and myself. We're going to be talking about creating plugins and adapt. Chuck, do you want to get started with this? Sure. Uh, Simon, I think about all the times that when we're doing our work, we're, as freelancers, we're working with clients. And um, it's inevitable that sooner or later there's going to be a request for a, a custom component or a, or a bespoke plugin. Um, what's your reaction when that happens? I, I mean, I think it's one of the more exciting projects to do. You know, creating a plugin from scratch is like creating a brand new interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking about components and extensions, yeah. rather than a theme, which is normally a different project, which would be specified in that explicit term. Yeah, obviously it adds functionality to adapt, which may not exist. And um, it's about working with a client to understand what they need, if anything exists already, because there are over 100 plugins available in adapt and maybe that idea it exists and it's just a matter of being able to find it and recommend it and install it for the client but sometimes they do need something that's unique or they need to kind of radically change an existing plugin to make it work in the way that they need so yeah it's always a a fun project yeah yeah it is fun do you um when that happens do you stop and review their needs at that point uh are you assuming that they actually need something custom um that they've done their diligence to look through what's out there it it depends the kind of client i'm working with um you know if they're like a an e-learning agency that has used adapt for a while and knows the language that knows the market they know what's out there then yeah, I would assume that they've done their research and they know what they need and they've approached me for that reason. But, you know, sometimes I work with smaller teams who are newer to adapt and they they might be like coming from another offering tool that has a certain function, like a certain interaction. And they might be like, yeah, we really want this. But it's about, obviously it's about the budget and if, you know, if they can justify the development time of creating a brand new interaction, because, you know, it's going to take at least several days of a JavaScript developer's time to create one of these plugins. So it's not as simple as a storyline kind of drag and drop thing. Um, Yeah. I mean, the benefit is of, of the benefit of having a plugin is that once you do, this is like a reusable thing that you can have, in every project going forward, you can easily drop it in and, and use it. Um, you can also use it across different client projects and, you know, you can open source it and that means anyone can use it. So yeah, there are a lot more powerful, but um, obviously there it is trickier to uh, create them. Yeah, I always want to make sure that the client is really clear about what they're looking for. You know, you know, there's the, the the standard core plugins can do a lot, and I think it's that balancing uh, the the time and cost to do something that's custom, um, balancing it with, well, can you get by with the what already exists? And the pros on that side is that you've got standard core plugins that have been used time and time again. And so we know that the code is stable, it's robust, the, the 
bugs have been patched, um, generally speaking. So I think there's such advantages to, to using something that's standard or core, if you can. If you can. There yeah. are definitely times when you can't. Yeah, exactly. And that's why if a client is new to Adapt and they ask for something, then you could say, like, hey, have you just thought about using this other uh, component or extension and just changing how you use it slightly? You know, like, for example, the, you know, drag and drop is a, a popular requested thing. And yeah. there are drag and drop components that exist, but that component has historically had a lot of issues with accessibility. And exactly. if a client wants something that watch is accessible, then maybe they should be using the core one, or maybe they should be trying to find a more simple design that works better for mobile and works better for accessibility. Oh, you hit the two. I, I think that that idea of um, the phone view or the mobile view and accessibility, I, I find that those are the two aspects that are overlooked the most. When clients are thinking about something that's bespoke, uh, they may have an actual need for something that's custom. Granted, th there are times when that's needed, um, but man, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's usually all. I find myself entering into that second phase of the conversation. Okay, now have you thought about your needs uh, for accessibility? And actually, it shouldn't be your needs. It's, have you thought about the issue of accessibility? Because it's typically <laughs> uh, the needs of someone other than the person making the request. Uh, but that's a, a, a worthwhile um, requirement. But then it's, it's, it's mobile phone. It's, have yeah. you thought about that? We talked earlier about, or you mentioned that, that themes are a little different from extensions and co components as far as the way Adapt uses those words. Um, but for me, you know, menus, uh, there that's where I find <laughs> I find so many people do not think of uh, their ramifications for for mobile. Uh, that's that I see a big difference there. So I think there are there are ways to look at these plugins and say, oh, this is going to be a bigger task than than you may be thinking about. Yeah, you, absolutely. Uh, yeah. How, how about that? If you were to think about plugins in general, where Adapt categorizes them by uh, components, extensions, plugins, and themes, what do you think are the toughest to code? Components, obviously, you have to think about you know stuff like inheriting the question if it's a question component inheriting the question model and making sure you're doing all the right function calls and stuff like that um you have to worry about the kind of layout and design and things like that so i would normally say components i haven't done much uh, menu stuff uh i don't normally work with custom menus i, I mostly rely on the box menu I, obviously i you know I, I have seen more complex menu layouts and yeah, they could be tricky to implement as well. Yeah, yeah, I've already tipped my hand. I, I think that menus for for me have been the the toughest projects. Uh, not it's not every single for each one of these. It's not every single one. Every component is not tough. Every component is not easy, and every menu is not tough or easy. But it's because of, of my experience doing menus, where the desktop can allow uh, you to see all the items at once and. The kind of kinds of information that I think clients like to show uh, for each item to to kind of tease the the learner to click on them, 
man, it's just so difficult to fit that in on a, a phone view, that format of a, of a mobile phone. Uh, so my experience is that it takes a whole different view, a whole different layout. And, and encoding, it doesn't necessarily need to be that much more difficult. Uh, but working with the client who's got uh, the, the, the vision of a desktop and hasn't really thought about mobile, uh, sometimes converting that vision, the art direction for that vision yeah. can be a, a, a tough conversation. And um, yeah, so for me, I think that's, that's probably easy for me to say that I uh, watch out when we're talking about menus and what's involved with that. Um, yeah, themes. I think we both do a lot with themes and customizing themes. Generally, the projects I worked with, like the term theme, you know, clients have an idea of a theme being like CSS and the style and lookout, but if they want a plugin, they know that they want new functionality. So, right. I know the plugin is the kind of generic term that encompasses all four components, extensions, menus, and themes. But generally, when I hear the word plugin, I interpret it as components and extensions because those are the two kind of new functionalities. And, you know, I guess in the course, because you have like a one to one ratio, you have one theme in a course and one menu in a course, uh, generally 99% of the time. So you, those are kind of constant. Whereas plugins, you can introduce dozens of plugins components and extensions again sorry i use the term interchangeably there that's why i normally think of plugins being those two and if a, if a client contacts me and say hey we need help creating a plugin almost every time they mean those two things definitely especially with the way we are tend to develop themes where we're we're taking vanilla and copying it and making modifications to it so much of that can even be done within the authoring tool so um, you're absolutely right is that typically when we're getting these requests they're for components and extensions okay so you've gotten a request for a new plugin what are you doing next i mean even a request for a new plugin is i generally think it's more of like a request for a new functionality and you know i've worked with clients and they said like we want to add gamification to adapt like how this is an idea we have, what would you do to create it? And, you know, I, I've had a, something where it was like one extension, like a gamification extension, and then also like a component, which was, um, you know, showing the results and updating as they go. So sometimes you need to interpret, as the developer, you need to interpret the requirements of the, of the client and then convert that into kind of the actual outcomes that are going to be created. So, and, you know, sometimes you can be creative with that. Sometimes there isn't, you, you can choose what you think is the best solution and maybe a different developer would have approached it a different way. But, um, well, even, even between in that conversation between us, the developer and our client, um, there, there's different interpretations. And I know that I've been in similar situations where, yeah, I played a real role in, uh, making suggestions, the things that they couldn't possibly have thought of um, just reasonably could not have been aware that's out there. So yeah, there is um, um, room, I think in all these things for an expansion of views um, and, and approaches. Uh, 
one client may dro- approach it differently. Another developer may approach it differently. But yeah, got to be creative with some of these things. So if you've got this request for something new, oh, uh, and, and you've got the the requirements fairly well defined, what, what's the how are you approaching this? What are you doing next? If we're thinking about the code process or the development process of it, not really the, the what methods and functions that we're using, but strategy. You know, generally I would look for something that exists already, which may share a, a component with like a button layout. You know, I maybe would look at the code of the whole graphic and copy functions across, which would do the the kind of thing I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that kind of process can save a lot of time and, you know, it gives you rather than starting from scratch and like having to work out all the layouts and all the other things without anything that gives you like the kind of starting place to go from. And then you can modify those functions and then you can modify the layout. And I don't, I know I would never create like a, a project file from scratch and add the files one by one. I would always start from something which exists. And then even if I delete all the, the JavaScript and start a fresh kind of thing, like at least that gives me the kind of layout of the file and the bow.json files and the readme files and all the other uh, con- like constituent elements of the plugin, which need to be there. So I'm exactly the same uh, in my approach. I would never start from scratch. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I do that for all the same reasons that you do. Um, uh, to, to that, I would, I would add that, you know, I've, I've coded through vers- framework versions three, four, and five, and I'm sure you have too. And, and I just, I don't expect myself to to remember the distinctions between these three, um, and especially right now, working mostly in four, but excited about five, and then occasionally finding a plugin that a client has, or maybe out in public, out there in the wild that is actually version three, but still functions in four. Um, <laughs> you know, I. I, I'm going to look for that model, and I'm going to start out with the the uh, adapt learning repos, and like you, look for those those core plugins. But I'm going to go further too. Is that depending on what the the client, what framework version the client is working in? Let's say they are working in four. I'm going to go out to those adapt repos, and where you can choose the the branch. You know, you can also look at the tags. And so I'm going to look through there and I'm going to find the the last the last uh, tag for last release for that major version that my client's using. So they're using four. I'm finding one that's going with four. And, and I'm doing that because I, I want the model, but I want the model that has the most patched bugs. <laughs> I want I want the model that is using uh, the the latest functions and features that that may have yeah, gone into it. Um, and then even even coding style. You know, the I, I like to keep my code, try to keep my code in line with what the core developers are doing. And so, you know, there is a certain style that people will use and that an organization will will adopt um, and certainly I can benefit from any um, improvements of performance that they 
you know, they've discovered for their adapt code with the loops or whatever, you know, it's, uh, I'll, I'll try and incorporate those as much as possible. Yeah. I know I, the point about inheriting, like using the style of the core team is definitely true. Like I remember there's a single line return function that the core developers seem to like to use. Yeah. And I use that in all my projects and yeah. other developers have yeah. been like really confused by it and they don't never seen it before, but, uh, right. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that for my, for my practice being a, a, a freelancer, um, I, I don't have the, the benefit of having a bunch of folks around me who are, de- who are coding at the same time. And, uh, <laughs> I have to manage my own, education and keeping current with coding and darn it yeah i'll learn things from looking at other people's code so i'm 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 not proud i'm very uh happy to to learn from uh, what i see in their codes and improve my own code a key skill of being a developer using um, adapt is being comfortable navigating github and knowing how to look at branches and find the right plugin that you're looking for. And obviously not every single person is able to do that. If you're not a developer, then we've created a, a checklist, which helpfully can help you find the best plugins. But it, you know, this is a, if you are a developer, this is a key thing that you should be um, trying to get more comfortable with. I think. Yeah, I think so too, especially because we have ver- a variety of versions. Um, it does yeah. impact the uh, the kinds of uh, plugins that are available to use. We have to we have to watch that, or else we're just going to be running into errors all the time. And there are decent decent plugins out in the wild that have been uh, created by third party developers, whether they're companies or or individuals that are still decent. Uh, and they may not be maintained. I, I guess that's what I'm saying is that it, depending on the the release, how how complex the major version release is, there were there were a number of people who didn't want to take the time to to convert their plugin from version four to version five because there was such a a, a change in the in the way the uh, CSS classes were named. Hey, that doesn't put me off. If I see if I see a version four out there, I'm not going to say, "Oh man, my 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 framework is a version five, so I can't use this." I'm going to take a look at it, and I think if it's solid code, I'll take the time. I'll take the time to update the the last files, uh, the schema, those kinds of things. Earlier, you you talked about uh, having art direction for a plugin. Mm-hmm. Like, is that is that something that happens often? Like, uh, do you normally? Do you normally have a client who approaches you and say, this is what we need? Maybe they have like an Adobe XD prototype. Uh, Maybe it's just a few kind of sketches. Yeah. Do do you have to convert? Do you you like working with that or do you prefer to have the freedom to kind of... Oh, God, I would love that. I've I've never had that happen. (laughs) I've never had that happen, especially when we're talking about plugins the way uh, we're restricting it right now in terms of... Components and extensions, um, where I'll see in my own experience, where I have seen art direction is is with themes, um, it, with menus too. Um, menus, I think, carry a lot of weight 
in terms of communicating a style or personality of the course. So I see that often with themes. Uh, but when they were talking about components and extensions, no, that's it's all been written or verbal. Um, and as we alluded to earlier, that there's a, a give and take, a, a back and forth trying to clarify requirements. But how about you? Have you ever seen uh, XD or Figma or Sketch for anything like that? Yeah, you have a, a few you. clients. A few clients like to do those. Yeah, like, um, you know, if it's a, like a new interaction, um, mm-hmm. maybe they would do that first in Adobe XD. If it, I've I've had larger projects of like theme updates, and you know, they might include they want a new component as well, and they would create a design for that, and then I would create that as well. Um, I had a, a project where a client provided me a GIF. Mm-hmm. Um, my client was the learning agency and obviously it was something that they'd shown their client Yeah, and the cl- that client must have signed off on it. And then they were like, okay, now we need to actually create it. So then they came back to me and, you know, uh, obviously with all design, things get very lost in translation between, you know, a designer wants something, they envision something and they want it to work a certain way. And then as a developer, oh, you have to like I see use where you're the going. tools available. Yeah. Yeah. And, so yeah. someone had an idea and a vision, got the client sign off, and then you had to produce yeah. it out of thin air. <laughs> Whether yeah. it could and work or not, you had to make it work. <laughs> yeah. The designer, you know, they wanted to please the, the end client. So yeah. they, you know, made it slick. They made it look super slick. It was like amazing animations and look very yeah polished and clean and then they're like okay create this and yeah you're gonna i'm just like there's nothing out there like no you know it's 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 very hard to (laughs) exactly yeah yeah. it's obviously a matter of like saying like this is gonna take a long long time to do it exactly as you want and balancing the budget of uh, you know against the demand of what they need is um it's a difficult conversation obviously to have with with clients and yeah I think it's great when there are agencies that have developers and uh, feds, um, front-end developers mm-hmm. on on staff. They can, yeah. if they're if they're smart, they can bring them into the conversation early uh, when they're meeting with clients, yeah. if only to sit in the background and hear and to to give to feed input um, after meetings. Anyway, like that, it's just so that that. Uh, that gap between the vision and what's practical and cheap and efficient and effective, please. I'm, I'm all for doing great things. Uh, you know, that's fine, but I, I, it is tough when then, then you have to confront the budget. Let, let's talk about what, once you've finished a component okay, or an extension, sorry, or an extension or whatever yeah, you've created a plugin. Yeah. Once you finish a plugin, what's the process for like handing it back to the client do they test it internally? Do they um, do they expect it to be kind of good to go straight away? Like, yeah, uh, how do you find well, it? I, I think we've both encountered different situations. Uh, I tend to work with smaller companies, and they, it is rare for them to have uh, a dedicated group who are doing testing. I've had that experience too. And I love it. <laughs> I love it when I can be backed up by people who are gonna gonna try and break the thing. Uh, but as a freelancer, yeah, I think that uh, it is my expectation that I'm going to be delivering code that I have been able to test to my 
uh, best ability. And that yeah. when I'm delivering it to the client, that we're having that conversation too about seeing what they can do to in, in, in-house, get people to test it. Shoot, you know, it, sometimes it's just getting it on a server with a, a, a publicly exposed URL so that people can pull it up on their on their mobile device and and make sure that it's working well. Um, yeah. But on that level, in terms of that uh, that aspect of this uh, delivery back, it, w- w- what would you say about that? About testing and delivery and. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes there's kind of edge cases which you didn't account for. You know, something I can think of is like, imagine you had a component and then someone put it in like an article block slider or something like that. And it doesn't suddenly breaks the layout or does something. And, you know, you might have a client who comes back to you a month later saying like, hey, why doesn't this work? Mm -hmm. And you have to explain that Adapt is very, because there's so many options available to you. That, you have to explain that. You didn't tell me you were going to put yeah, it in the exactly, article yeah. block, so, block slider. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I definitely think with Adapt, it is good to have an understanding of how you're planning on using every plugin. Yeah. And if that's like a PO 101 or if that's like a guideline, internal guideline like document that you have saying, if you're using this component, please have these considerations. Yeah, I, I think that's very important to any organization that's looking to roll out adapt, having some kind of document like that, which keeps the consistency and the kind of quality high of, of work. Yeah. But yeah. I think that- I think that itself could be another episode we could talk about just like having internalized uh, you know, a, standard, a standardization across the internal team using Adapt. Yeah. To, I think that's prudent advice to to someone like me too, as a freelancer. I don't, yeah. I don't have that as part of my checklist. I, I rely on my memory and my awareness of the situation to say, "Ooh, you know, they're doing a lot with this, and they're not telling me how they're using this." Or I can recognize that the the course is so specific. And the way the clients are working, that yeah, they're they're they are not thinking about using this again. Um, I rely on myself, and I think that um, you you may have some prudent advice to us freelancers, uh, like I said, myself included, to 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 have a checklist and bring these things up. Um, be very aware of it when we're talking with clients as we're starting uh, engaging a new process to to see what those needs are. Uh, yeah. Great. Well, I think we should wrap up. We've been okay. talking for a while. Okay. See you. Thanks for, li- thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.